0: Today we're going to talk about a hidden fee that fuels the fires of inflation across
1: America every day. In the past two years, inflation has been making headlines all over the world.
0: Well, the price of using that credit card, it too is about to go up.
1: To add to the higher grocery and utility bills, payments processing companies added on higher fees in 2022.
0: Visa and MasterCard increased their swipe fees last month. Credit and debit cards are convenient, but they're now costing you more money. Banks are raising the card processing fees that they charge businesses.
1: Now, as an average consumer, you may not notice these increases so much, but small businesses, the backbone of the economy is once again feeling the squeeze. We're really at a at point of razor thin margins. 2% could matter, it could make a difference.
0: Many local restaurants, gas stations, and retailers are either hiking the price of their products we're charging customers the credit card processing fees. For a business, it's almost impossible to succeed in today's world without accepting credit cards.
1: Each swipe of that credit card can also take a hit on a
0: store's bottom line. The swipe fees are charged every time people swipe a credit card while shopping. Merchants hand over about $138 billion in fees every year, according to the National Retail Federation. It's their second biggest cost after wages. I think the American people need to know the story about these fees that cost merchants and customers and why they're not disclosed. I think there'd be a revolt. We're facing inflation, and the last thing the American people need is a higher swipe fee. So how is this impacting you as a consumer? Today on Things Have Changed podcast, we're going to dive into why your credit card is getting more expensive to use and... How those swipe fees are crippling small business owners. The credit and debit card systems are not competitive marketplaces. When you don't have real competition, you get higher costs, less innovation, weaker security. That's a swipe tax on top of a sales tax. Give the consumers a break. If you had known how important the technology economy was 20 years ago, would you have done things differently? The internet, cell phones, the cloud, and data. Things have changed. We're here to talk about it. Hi,
1: I'm Jed. Hi, I'm Shikhar. Welcome to Things Have Changed, your new economics and technology podcast. Okay, so I survived the winter apocalypse in Texas Two days, temperatures were like 30 Fahrenheit, so like minus one, minus two. Wow. And, wow. and Texas, so, cold. so it's not cold compared to where Jet lives, which is in Jersey, <laughs> and that's forever <laughs> cold. It's always cold. But the problem okay. with Texas is they don't know how to act when something like this happens. When the temperatures yeah. fall, like, new. there's no one on the streets. No one knows how to react whole foods was closed like grocery stores are closed everything is closed i remember living in new york city when um, yeah. one of those hurricanes hit and i remember like shops still being open and then being like wow this is this is legit okay these guys know <laughs> they knew what to do storms yeah they know yeah. what to do over here people are freaking out so everyone's fall- been falling sick and i don't know if it's the greatest invention in history but the first thing that happens when I feel chilly, when I get the sweats, when I feel you know yeah. I'm gonna fall sick, is take out Vicks Vicks vapor rub. I'm holding this uh, <laughs> right in front of the camera. Vicks, Vicks vapor rub. Oh man! And put it all over the body because something about that Vicks, dude. God, what fixes a everything. product! Fixes Vick, everything. Yeah, it fixes everything. everything. Yeah, yeah, we always,
0: we keep ourselves stacked with VIX as well. It's just, I feel like it's the same in Philippines. Um, I heard a report that in Mexico, VIX is like one of the most used products when COVID hit. (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot of similarities there with how we use uh, VIX all over the world.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) that was a huge tangent, but I go in, okay, check this segue out. I go in to pay for the VIX using my credit card, right? That's the segue. Jed, you can take it from here.
0: Whoa, <laughs> wow, that's a really good segue, dude. So, Shicker has great ability to make segues into our topics typically, but today is not his day. He's feeling a little down, he's a little sick, you know. So, it's, it was a little difficult yep, for him to, yep, to yep. get to credit cards today. <laughs> um, but you know, all that being said, it has been an interesting amount of time we've spent doing this research. That's why, probably, why he got sick. Um, doing all the research for for this credit card payments processing companies um, so if you 've listened you know to our most recent episode um, on how Visa became one of the most valuable payment card companies in the world, um, you know that we 've we left a lot to cover right like in that last episode, we kind of got really excited about wow, this is a great business to be in right payment card processing huge business to be in uh despite being just a cog in the wheel they make over 50% margins yo so it's a great business it's like aws yeah. style businesses yeah. all right um so you know in in the last episode we kind of discussed the importance of this company and like kind of how it it makes it a lot more frictionless to transact right the big transition from cash to cashless was also one of those things that had happened uh through these payment card companies and the, the cliffhanger that we left with in the last episode basically was, you know, we have a large duopoly going on in in uh, this industry, right? We mentioned the two biggest um, companies that are in this space, Visa and MasterCard, and that's worldwide, but uh, uh, more pronounced in the US, of course, because we have a shit ton of transactions that happen here, right? So this cliffhanger that we left was was because in 2022, you know, last year, as we started the recovery, so to speak, (laughs) we spoke too soon last year, Um, a lot of things happened with the fees that these companies make a majority of their profits from. There were a lot of changes. It got really expensive to use credit cards, especially if you're in in the US of A. Um, If you're an average consumer, the cost of using your credit card may have gone up. Um, you know, inflation was rampant in the last two years, you know, so you may have noticed that as part of the inflationary squeeze that we're all feeling, but, 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 but if you're a merchant, you would have felt that a lot more, Yeah, a lot more. Like this is something I've been blind to, dude. Like I thought, okay, inflation, it was because of the supply chain reactions that we've had, et cetera. Um, But one other thing that could be added to how expensive things we're getting are processing fees. I'm sure you've experienced it, dude. You go to like a small retailer and they have a sign that says, look, we got a minimum of $10 transaction for you to be able to use your credit card. It's everywhere. Otherwise, we're going to charge you a ridiculous amount, (laughs) 3% or something.
1: And especially after COVID, business owners faced a lot of challenges over the last two years and I was reading about this, this, uh, coffee shop. Okay. And the coffee shop on an average, and this is across all coffee shops. I'm not talking about big retailers like Starbucks because they can negotiate better, better rates with oh, yeah. the credit card companies. So they oh, yeah. operate on scale, right? So it's not as big of a concern for them, but for smaller boutique, hole in the wall, food stores, groceries, coffee shops, what happens is they end up paying more on card processing fees than they are like raw materials. Like coffee shops pay more for uh, more in fees than they spend on coffee beans per year. They're spending about $12,000 on just beans, raw materials. But on the fees, they're spending close to $20,000 a year. You know, $20,000 a year is crazy. That's why I think you might have also seen this, Jed, where, you know, you go to taco trucks and stuff yeah. and they're like, okay, you can Venmo us this money or uh, you can yeah. pay in cash and it's $8. If it is yeah. credit card, it's 10 bucks.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we mentioned it in the intro. You know, merchants are, in the United States of America, merchants are paying $138 billion of fees every year. That's a ridiculous amount of money. Um, so, you know, when you think about like, the profitability—it's great thing for Visa and Mastercard, but geez, uh, small businesses, which are the backbone of the American economy, are getting squeezed. You know, by this amount of money that that they're paying out. So it's interesting because one stat we we saw while we were doing this research was we're also using credit cards a lot more these days. Like that's something Absolutely. that you Absolutely. know maybe you coming from college and coming out as as a new person with all this new money. You start learning about the benefit, and I don't know if you do this too, dude. You start learning about the benefit of, um
1: of points, right? You have credit cards, yeah, yeah. That you have points on. Jed I mean, is a big that... points guy. He will take unnecessary <laughs> trips just for points, and I'm like, dude, you spend more on your flights than the points. He's the Bro, points guy. It's all about in status this relationship.
0: <laughs> I'm mentioning points because one of the big incentives for you to get a credit card is is points, right? Like. If you're a listener of this program, um, you've heard us talk about the travel industry, about different types of industries that are getting affected um, by COVID. And one of the things that I found really helpful throughout this time, this period of time where a lot of industries were changing, were these really new deals that these points companies started having. Amex has great deals. Um, You know, there are points for specific businesses that will partner with certain banks to make really, really cool rewards for you. And these rewards are pretty helpful if you know how to use them, you know, like the way we um, get rid of costs of eating at the airport, for example, is that we have a certain membership with Amex that helps us go to these lounges to eat completely for free, right, going and leaving. You know, so it's like a way for you to optimize costs in that way where you can get certain memberships and they even give like credits for for global entry or pre TSA checks and, and whatnot. You know, these type of points are super valuable for the people that are already spending for those things, but won't get the credit if they don't have a certain card, you know, so people aspire to get cards anyway. Point being that. In 2016, about 40% of Americans, 40% of their transactions were done using credit cards. That's 2016, okay? Now we're talking 2022, where more than half of everybody's transactions are happening through a credit card. Okay, so not too much of a drastic change, but if you think about that number, more than half of your transactions are getting done by credit cards, even as the you know pandemic had hit us. Um, it's pretty interesting because that is really really helping um two really huge companies visa and mastercard which we're talking about in this call as as a duopoly yep. right so that that's an amazing insight to have to see that the benefit that's that's going up from all of these transactions is going to like just two major companies and that small businesses are getting kind of squeezed with these transaction fees
1: yeah that's one of the biggest things uh the fees have doubled since 2012. So merchants like 10 years ago were better off with regards to their operational costs than today. Aside from the fact that the cost of goods have gone up significantly, right? So it's kind of wild. I don't think you can get a burrito under $10 anymore. Isn't that crazy? For six That's years, ridiculous. I was getting a 6 cent, and oh $7 burrito. God. Right?
0: Depressing, dude. It's depressing, I'm telling you. As you point out, it's kind of unsustainable for the merchants and for us too. I mean, again, inflation probably having multiple causes um, for the increases in prices, right? So it's not just the increase in interchange fees, but it adds to the pain that we have to deal with, right? As consumers and merchants. So what do we, what do we think this picture is gonna look like a couple of years from now? Well, getting more and more expensive to transact will likely mean that less small businesses will thrive, you know. That if this is one of their yeah. highest operating costs, it's probably going to be troubling for them to grow, you know. So that's one of the things that that are coming out of of our thesis today is that it's really hard to operate in a in a duopolistic environment, but you know, we looked at some ways that governments around the world are kind of dealing with this with this duopoly and, and it's pretty interesting because it's a drastic difference between interchange fees, those fees that Visa and Mastercard charge in the United States, versus in Europe. So that's kind of that's kind of the first observation that we had is that the EU has capped um, these interchange fees at 0.3% of uh, yeah. transaction of the transaction value. So it's kind of isn't that crazy? What's because it the, in the average U.S. rate that we have? Dude, it's one point five to three point five, respectively. It. It's just <laughs> it's a ten x. It's just around that range. It's literally ten x, <laughs> right? So it's way more expensive for Americans to transact than it is for Europeans, which is kind of crazy, you know? Because capping credit card interchange fees, it's a hot topic, and Visa and Mastercard, like all the other massive companies, have a lot of lobbyists out there who obviously. Go against all regulation that try to you know get enforced on interchange fees, but it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I think our first example of this, like in America, was probably the the Durbin Amendment because you have the debit and the credit card. Typically, you think to yourself, I will use the credit card because I have um I have points to make. All right, I have points to gain. The debit card doesn't typically give you points, and I'll I'll give you one reason that is there's a cap today on how much you can collect on a debit card transaction thanks to the Durban amendment um yeah actually this very small fact is a reason why we have all of the points coming through credit cards you know because they can charge fees on the credit cards they can gain a lot from credit card transactions but they can't gain too much from debit card transactions So that's one way that we've regulated, at least for debit card transactions, how to make it easier for these merchants to transact, right? Can that be extended to credit cards?
1: And that's such a great example of how regulation, if done right, works. Consumers do not know this. Oh, yeah. And they are willing to ignore the fact because they're getting points from credit cards Right. We know the playbook works. We know capping the fees works. Right. We still get the same security on the debit card. Then there's no difference in security level or ease of use on either networks. Right. So, how can we mimic what we did on the debit cards and do that for the credit cards?
0: Yeah. No, agreed. I think, I think that has worked with debit cards, but also another separate view that kind of some merchants think about is that if we cap credit cards, if we cap their interchange fees on credit cards, there's a lot of opportunities today that would be crushed for merchants and the bank bank, um, the banks that are hosting these credit cards. Because for the very fact that points are a great way to incentivize spending in a very specific place, very specific place, you have points for credit cards yep. for uh, traveling. You have points for cashback. You have all of these types of programs that are very specific to how you spend. So somebody who spends in one specific category can actually earn um, very specific rewards that'll be helpful for
1: you as the consumer. The two greatest words in business today, recurring revenue. If you have (laughs) points on United or Chase, you will spend through United, through Chase. And that means you're coming back again. So these, like everyone loves it. The travel partners love it. The bank loves it. The credit card companies love it. The consumers are like, huh, at least I'm yeah. getting this. Yeah. The yeah. merchants, yeah. ah, they are actually getting <laughs> shafted here.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, no, that's, that's a great point. And, you know, that's why it's a little bit harder to just say, oh, let's just expand, expand the Durban Amendment to credit cards as well. A lot of people are arguing about this side of things. Another regulation that I think is is interesting that was put forward was, um, it's called CCC. If you the Credit Card Competition Act, uh, same dude who came up with the amendment. So still Durbin, same guy who came up with it. He's for still there. Instead, thinking of another way. Yeah, dude, he's still. Oh, it's not. It's not that old. This is pretty recent. This is like early two thousands.
1: Dude, that's twenty years ago.
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's crazy, bro. Wow, <laughs> we're getting old. God What? um it, it's it's uh it's interesting to see but this is the same guy who who put it out right same guy who's still trying to challenge that duopoly that exists right now in the united states you know um and basically what the ccc does is it breaks the link between um the banks that are helping the customers make their transactions um and the credit card networks, Visa, MasterCard, Hamx, and all these all these things, you know they want to break that link so that when a bank offers merchants what kind of network they're trying to go with, they can give one big one, so either Visa or MasterCard, um, which will likely be the case just for accessibility, and one small network as well. so in this way, they're going to be able to give the option for choosing. The underdog. You know, they'll have the option to be able to transact in those other networks that may be going into this space. Because something we didn't really um point out to you was that there's a lot of regulation around protecting consumers in Europe. I think that's not something new. Um, we talk about it in the show quite a lot. I mean, (laughs) we mentioned how much consumer protection there is for data and and your privacy in Europe versus it is in the United States, right? So that's nothing new, but the way the United States typically also protects its consumers is through intense competition. By there being a lot of competitors in a market that pushes prices down and makes, you know, these companies want to create better products. So that's, that's like one way they think about regulation as well, which is what this CCC is trying to do.
1: To be frank, I love using credit cards. I love the ease of just being able to tap and swipe and go to the subway, tap, walk in. It's become so seamless. All we need is a little more competition here, right? Um, right. So we were just thinking the, the whole UPI system that we we spoke about in India, why not do something similar in the US where the Federal Reserve, the actual bank of the country, actually takes steps to create a payment network, and this conversation has been getting a lot of momentum. Before it was only the small business owners complaining about credit card fees. Now, large retailers from Walmart, Target, they are, they are actually urging the Fed to develop a system like that, where there's an alternative to credit card networks, like a real-time payment system. So this is really good news because now the banks and the credit card companies have to innovate and compete if something like this is enforced.
0: FedNow. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, FedNow is, is the product that the Chicker is talking about. It's something that's just been in the ideation phase for um, the Federal Reserve. Um, and it's interesting because UPI worked so well, I believe, in India. It worked so well because there is still that massive gap between the payments networks, right? Like a lot of people were still using cash, So the Federal Reserve still had a lot of power in how people transacted. But I think it's very different in the United States to some degree because we already have networks here that are privatized that work very, very well. For example, I have no issues. If I never bring cash ever around the United States, I have no issues because I have a card for everywhere that I'm going to go that I know I can transact with. But it's not the same if you're in a different country. It's not always that easy to already transact. So what I'm saying is FedNow is a great system to get everybody unified on one network and also to reduce fees because right now the duopoly isn't doing that. The competition that's available in the United States isn't reducing interchange fees.
1: They're jacking it up.
0: (laughs) They're jacking it up, exactly. So FedNow is still a good alternative as well for digital payments just to add to that mix of things that can reduce interchange fees. Because if you think about it, what you were saying, right? People would rather you Venmo them instead of do a credit card transaction if the fees are too high, right? So there will still be fintech products out there that can take away from the market share and will force Visa and MasterCard to have to innovate or have lower interchange fees. Like, clearly it's not enough. What happened in 2022? It's not enough because they raised their fees, right? Even if they were making like soaring operating margins. Like, what the hell, man? Why would you raise fees? You know, especially amidst inflation. You know, they're not a cost of goods company. They don't have a lot of CapEx. Like, why would they raise fees? But this is another thing that central banks can do in order to introduce more competition, even if it's not widely adopted. If it's just adopted, you know, in lots of parts in the country, like it'll be enough for Visa and MasterCard to go, all right, we got to think about other ways to incentivize people to come and use our networks.
1: Yeah, and the government seems to be a bit more on it with regards to preventing consolidation. Visa uh, and uh, Plaid, right? Uh, Plaid, Plaid? How how do you pronounce that? Plaid. Plaid, bro. Plaid? Plaid? Plaid. Wow, P L A I D is Plaid? Dang, it It looks like Plaid. So uh, with Plaid... Uh, yeah, so they are a big payments infrastructure company, uh, and it's a you know it's a younger company. It's um, probably six seven years old, and Visa actually acquired it. Uh, they didn't acquire it completely. They put in the offer, and it was rejected by the r- regulators. So eliminating these competitive threats actually helps because now visa has to be a bit more competitive they can't just buy their competition right so i think that is a good sign that you know things might be turning um credit card companies cannot just keep raising the fees there has to be some level of cap and doing that is probably hard just because you know there's so many lobbyists that I, I don't think you can fight the lobbyists that represent the banks or the credit card companies because that's a strong, strong army. So w- one way I'm actually quite interested to see how the Fed now, um, like the UPI alternative in the US, Fed now actually works. It's, it's supposed to be rolling out in like July of this year. So having that would be pretty cool and seeing how many merchants actually jump on it and allow that accessibility.
0: This was really cool. I really hope you learned a lot about payments processing and about credit card companies. Um, And yeah, till the next time, stay curious.